Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Yuval Kestke, the founder of UX Writing Hub. In today's episode, we talked about the art and science of UX writing and how it can be a game changer when it comes to improving conversion, reducing churn, and increasing revenue. Yuval also shared how companies can use metaphors to maintain copywriting consistency, his step-by-step process in helping companies enhance their copy, and a real-life case study of a previous client of his. Lastly, we also talked about how using shady tactics and dark patterns can damage your brand and customer attention, and why copywriting is the first step of reducing churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Yuval. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's good to have you on the show. For the listeners, Yuval is the founder of UX Writing Hub, uh, the official one-stop shop for online UX writing resources, providing in-depth education, articles, workshops, courses, product team training, and more for UX writers and product teams from all over the world. After creating the largest UX writing discussion group called Microcopy, uh, was actually where I first came across Yuval on Facebook. Uh, he collaborated with UX writers from Google, Amazon, PayPal, Fiverr, NASA, Wix, and more to offer the first ever UX writing course. So my first question for you is, Yuval, what is UX writing and why should we care about it? All right. So UX writing is basically the craft of um, creating copy for a digital interface. Um, and that's only part of the craft. Basically, what a UX writer expected to do is to work in a product team and as more or less a product designer and to own the responsibility of the copy of the web interface or the application or all of the digital experiences basically and that's related to the company. And it varies between uh, the sizes of the company. So as you know, uh, like in like many different roles, as the smaller the company is, the more responsibility, responsibilities. So basically, uh, the role varies between the sizes of the company. So if it's Google, so they could have someone that is hands-on UX writer for a very specific part of the product or only for the Google Maps or like five different writers working on the Waze app of Google. But if it's a smaller company and it's not Google, so probably the UX writer would be in charge also and it, it can be in charge also on marketing aspects, emails, uh, transactional emails and stuff like that. 
So the role varies quite a bit then, obviously, depending on the size and scale of the business. And what is sort of like the main goal of a UX writer? Like if you had to pick like two or three things that a UX writer is always trying to do, uh, what would you say like is their purpose in a company? So uh, basically, I would say that like a UX designer or a product designer, the idea is to connect and create a bridge between the business goals and the user needs. So at the end of the day, there must be some kind of a balance between the business goals and the user needs. When the goal in total is to create just a better user experience for the digital product of that company. For example, if I work for Dropbox as a UX writer, so my two focal points would be, okay, how can we bring more subscribers to pay for our services at Dropbox? And also, how can we reduce the frustrations of the users? I would connect between the business goals and the user needs. Okay, so I mean, this is something as well. I think when it comes to UX writing, and mentioned in the previous episode, uh, that it's often overlooked. Uh, and you mentioned, obviously, depending on the size and scale of the company, you have different focuses. But I know a lot of the times, like in the early days for startups, uh, it normally like copy and uh, UX writing is almost the last afterthought. It's uh, let's design the screens and then last minute it might be an engineer even or a product designer who's putting together copy. Uh, what are some of the things that you would suggest to companies who want to get started in this practice, who want to get better at sort of uh, introducing UX writing with, into their process? Like, What are some of the things that startups can do with limited resources to, to get a focus and improve the UX writing? So that's a really good question, even for UX design. Is was always something that it's very hard to to persuade for a company. Um, you know, many companies that say 20 years ago, you would tell them, hey, we need to improve the user experience product and they'd be, they wouldn't understand exactly what are we talking about. But now we have the, we had the digital revolution. Everybody have mobile devices and many uh, different digital experiences. And it's, pretty obvious that the better the experiences of your digital product, so the more money that your company will make eventually. It's not the only parameter, it's also related to the quality of the technology, of course, and also marketing efforts and sales efforts and so on and so on. But at the end of the day, if you will compare two apps solely on the frustration or the amount of joy that people produce from them, so the app that produced more joy or less frustration for the user would probably be more uh, successful. Ten years ago, we had to, and I'm a product designer, by the way, by my, I'm a product designer from my back, with my background, used to be a graphic designer. So I said that five years ago, we had to say to companies that they need to invest in user experience and we had to promote it. And now much more people understand the value of UX design because it's kind of obvious to many people now. So UX writing is having uh, the same thing right now. It's a relatively new um, role. Not a lot of people understand the value of it, but at the end of the day, when your app communicates much better with your users, your, um, the success of your app is going to skyrocket. You're going to get more subscribers, more paying users, um, and uh, all of that. What I want to say is that the copy of the interface have a direct impact on the amount of money that the business could make. Yeah. 
Uh, I think what you're saying as well in terms of like the practice of user experience design and uh, a focus on that experience, uh, it definitely has evolved over time where in before like you used to see some standout apps that had these amazing experiences and nowadays it's sort of like a given, like you're not going to use a tool unless the experience is amazing and I can see the same thing happening now with UX writing, Uh, like really not much thought given to it like five, 10 years ago and slowly, slowly more companies are realizing the value of having a really good and clear communication uh, strategy when it comes to their app and educating their users uh, with their pain points. Because I think at the end of the day, you can have a really slick UI, but if uh, your app is not communicating to users in the right way, if you're not guiding them to the key actions that they need to be taking uh, and there's, if your app is filled with ambiguity or not clear direction, I think you're definitely going to struggle in the next five to 10 years uh, to, to compete. And um, I, I just wanted to have a comment on that because that was a really great remark. Um, so probably right now, business owners or product managers or people from different sales companies saying to themselves, all right, so we've heard you guys, it makes a lot of sense. So we just hire a copywriter and uh, you know we would just put copy into our product and everything is going to be fine, right? Yeah, yeah. And Tell us why like, it's not the same thing, why it's not going to work. Not the same, so it's not the same thing. So uh, what I like to compare it is like having a UX writer is like using iPhone for the first time. Until you use it, you don't know that you need one. But uh, once you work with the dedicated UX writer, it's like a game changer. Because that person would not only create nicer copy in your interface, they will do user research. They will understand how to create and how to communicate a message in context. So let's say that they will just break all of the user flow of sign up process or um, even um, canceling of subscription process. And they will just communicate it in a better way that it will increase conversions or reduce churn and uh, all of that uh, beautiful things that uh, you need for a business. Yeah, I've seen this happen as well many times where it would just be like, let's try and bring another writer in. But there is a definite skill uh, when it comes to UX writing because the challenge with UX writing as well is it's not the number of, like every word you put on a screen is precious, I think. Uh, And you need to be at the one time, make sure that things are really, really clear and explaining to users. But at the same time, you need to be cautious of real estate a lot of times as well. Um, and being able to communicate messages in like the most succinct manner that it's crystal clear to the end user of what needs to be done. I think it's an art and a science as well. Like it's not sort of uh, this long form uh, copywriting that people might write a blog post. So somebody who might write excellent blog posts is not always going to equate to become an excellent UX writer. Um, you talked a little bit about the process uh, and let's like, maybe you want to explain to us a little bit more in practice of how you would go about and you gave an example of the exit uh, flow uh, for a, a SaaS business and let's say like a we somebody comes to you and says I have this exit flow now um, I want to try and reduce churn and I want to see give an experience to my users as they're exiting uh, the app what would be your process involved? How would you go about sort of uh, deciding which pages to get started with? Like what would be the copy that would be going into it? And um, maybe you want to run us through like a process of a client had to come to and how you, you would work with them. All right. That's a really good question. And, and I have a few different point of views to this answer. So if they hire me, for example, as a dedicated in-house UX writer as part of the product team. So um, I'm just, 
I, I would just go into the and work with the team of the product designers, understand, you know, just communicate with everyone, listen to everyone, understand the pain points and what is the main focus right now. And if the main focus is on exit intent or reduce uh, churn. So I will try to understand what is the current messaging that we have today. I will probably look on how competitors are doing it, how other people are doing it. I will uh, try to find a way to, you know, maybe speak with the users. So we can use the uh, Hojar uh, to collect feedback, for example, or um, we can just, you know, be in a relationship with our users and send them an email, send a questionnaire. Um, we can also, and this is a trick that I really like and I call conversation mining, is like we can just find where your users are online. So for example, if you are working in a company that creates a dog sitting app, so I would go to Facebook groups of people that are dog sitters and I would see like which kind of language they use, which kind of jargon, which kind of words they use to communicate with each other. And I would, I have some kind of, a, a, you know, like a sheet or air table that I just document all of those words in an organized way. So I know I could use them after. And uh, then it's time to do the writing, you know, it's try to understand what is the technical limitations and, you know, speak with the developers, understand if you're a button, add your piece of text, you should, you can because text is thing to do as a developer, uh, but you do need to also speak with the designers that like it's okay to put text over there or to add text or to edit text over there and um, yeah now it's really depends on um, you know you can do right now a content audit for the current flow understand what is not working and then suggest some kind of a way to improve it and then you can use the data a few months after to just optimize it uh, so this is one example another example if i'm a freelance you excited or if I'm coming as an agency, which is also something that uh, I did for a few clients. So what I will do, it's not that different, but I will probably invest one week just to learn this client from inside out because you don't have the privilege to work in the product team. So you must do your research. You must feel, you must learn the people of the product team. It's a really a game of uh, communication in, for this part. So, uh, if you're a freelance exciter, my tip for you is to work on the way that helps you to communicate the best with your client. Yeah, that makes sense. I also like what you really said around sort of the trick when it's uh, going online to try and see the language that uh, the users are using or the language that your potential customers are using. Because I think mm -hmm. this is like a, a big problem that a lot of startups make is uh, sometimes they get too technical in their copy and they forget to empathize and they forget that there's actually humans at the end of it and uh, what you might call a platform or a service uh, or software, uh, it's actually a solution to people's problems. And uh, being able to communicate in a language that your customers use, I think is a super powerful and valuable skill to, to master. Right, uh, because at the end of the day, you want the, the platform to feel human to the other side. So if, uh, for example, you write an app for uh, 18 know which kind of language they use and without the research you just don't know how to create conversation with them yeah so talking about sort of like working as uh, as an agency freelancer you mentioned you've done that for a few clients like is there particularly like one case that you can speak to where you used ux writing um, and it had a big impact on the business uh, when it maybe came to engagement or usage of a specific service 
So that's a really good question. Um, there was a project two and a half or two years ago that um, I worked with a company named SodaStream for Israel. And it's pretty well known in Israel and also in the world. I think globally, um, yeah. What, yeah. What they're doing is creating Soda devices. And uh, that's about it. Like you buy SodaStream, you have in your home and sparkling water. And there is a thing with the device is that uh, you have gas that you use to operate this device. And the gas is not uh, unlimited. And it's usually after one or two months, you can't use the device anymore if you don't have enough gas. So basically the company hired me to um, build some kind of a new feature for their uh, e-commerce website. So we had to redesign and, re and just create a strategy of the whole e-commerce experience of SodaStream. It was a huge project because it was for like I think like 20 different countries and there was a lot of data scattered and we had to like transition ERP systems. Uh, and it was complicated for many different technical ways. But what I was in charge of was uh, to create a subscription feature. Many people were too lazy to buy that, uh, you know, uh, the gas and they just didn't use the product anymore because they were too lazy to just go outside, go to Walmart and buy. So yeah. uh, we tried to build some kind of a feature, a subscription feature. People would just get gas to their doorstep every month. And then there's going to be a whole recycling, recycling aspect for it. And that was pretty complicated to communicate. Like how exactly I'm going to start it, when exactly I'm going to get those uh, packages and, and how going to work so that was a huge challenge we, we we worked on it for around six months on the whole website but that was the main focus of the website that was like the you know the main conversion that we worked on because we wanted to just make more people to use the subscription feature because what else like you just pay every month and the company you know the importance of subscription i'm sure yeah and the yeah, it was a huge challenge and we interviewed different design agencies to create the strategy that we planned. There was a lot of challenges about like the wording, should we use uh, the word cylinder or should we use the word gas or should we use the picture of a gas or a picture of a person holding the gas. So there was also a lot of design challenges and also like we wanted to just show the process also of how it's going to work. So it was like three-step process. It was really important to communicate it well so people would actually use it. So uh, I just know that once it was implemented, it was a really, like, it was a huge success. And I didn't have the chance to work with them afterward. So I don't have the actual numbers of, like, churn rates and how, like, it went over time. The number that I got uh, about the, the convergence of the new website and, and that's what I, I received from the boss that I had back then was 51% increase in the conversions of the store uh, that we've created, their e-commerce store. Uh, oh. But that's only according to, to I, I just like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's according to him. And I, I really haven't had a chance to look on the numbers myself. Yeah. Uh, and that was a pretty successful project. And it opened me for many other, you know, successful successful but many other like really interesting and um, new directions and it was a really nice case study that like uh, was a great leg up to my career 
Yeah, and I can see like how the value there of really strong and good UX uh, copy can make a big, big difference because you, you're introducing a new uh, service uh, into an existing business. Uh, you're actually introducing a, a new subscription revenue for the business as well. And it's not something that customers have been familiar with doing in the past. It's something new to them. It's going to actually make an improvement exactly. for that ongoing engagement of the product as well. So you're not only creating a new revenue stream by having this good copy and putting together uh, this package, but then you're also encouraging this ongoing usage. And the right. power of copy, I, sort of, I think there is really a key in getting that message across so people understand, A, that the, this problem exists, and B, that now you have the solution that's solving it for them as well. Uh, exactly. And how you communicate it in the product page and how you make people to go uh, first to the subscription option and not to the actual store. There's like a lot of different optimization that you try to lead the users yeah. um, in a way that will benefit the business. As I said, connecting between business goals and user needs. Yeah. And you mentioned something as well uh, that was interesting. I wanted to get your input on too is you mentioned like the concept where you didn't know if we should call it a cylinder or gas or holding and you had specific terminology. Uh, so my question is like, I think a lot of times within startups, like we have specific terminology that's uh, for our business, but there's multiple different ways of saying things. Um, and what do you advise as some sort of like best practices? Like an example being like, do we call our users users, visitors? Uh, are they customers? Are they uh, trial users? There's always sort of this confusion in terms of terminology specific to your app and how uh, you communicate. And then how this is used throughout your documentation and explaining and what are some best practice you see when it comes to sort of like the copy governance, if you want to call it that, to mm-hmm. ensure that everybody's using the same language and you're communicating the same way to, <coughs> to your customers? So this is a brilliant question, and I'm really glad you put it up. Uh, and I wasn't expected to, to actually even, ever. I, uh, I never thought that I will answer this uh, uh, question because I, I didn't, uh, I, it's like in my prayer, but I never talked about it. But the, there is a huge impact in this case for metaphors. It's crazy. Um, for example, there is a company named Zest, an Israeli company. They give inspiration for people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you probably, I, I don't know if you know them. Um, they work with Hojar sometimes as well. Yes. But they just promote content to top uh, marketers, by top marketers. And they call their users the tribe. Okay, so this is a very interesting metaphor and like their users know that they are the tribe and all of the people in the company knows that they are the tribe and just pretty interesting metaphor because when you use metaphor that way, it's really easy to, you know, to understand like the context. I have another example of, for example, Airtable. So Airtable is a really cool product and it's like, uh, I really like using it. It's like Google Sheets and Steroids and they have some kind of, um, you can build the table from scratch or you can use some kind of um, a pre-made, uh, pre-made, uh, like, uh, how do you call it? Um, pre-made table. Okay, let's say that you want to build an Airtable CRM. So do you have like a pre-made uh, CRM that you can use. And the way that they call the whole, like, place of creation of those pre-made templates would be a galaxy. So it's Airtable Galaxy. And it's very like, fascinating and you think what you have in the galaxy. So that's a really interesting copy. 
Zapier, for example, it's an app that uh, integrates between two SaaS tools. So you can connect between your Google Sheets and your uh, type form, for example, through Zapier. So um, when you want to create uh, a SAP, so first of all, Zap is a metaphor because it's Zap. It's like, uh, you know, Zip Zap. And if you want to have a pre-made integration, so you need to go to the recipes and then you find a recipe. So it's all metaphors, recipe, zap, the galaxy, the tribe, it's all metaphors, but it's really understand the, let the users and the people in the company understand terminologies that are fun and that they connect people, you know? Yeah, I, li- I like that as well. And it definitely moves away from sort of like the complexities of if you had to try and imagine like the direct translation of what Zapier does with the Zapier recipes, uh, like I think the terminology that you would come up with would be a lot more complicated and a lot less easy to understand. I like that, metaphors. Exactly. So metaphors is a great example. And there is a really nice article by John Seto. Is a product designer at uh, Dropbox. He used to be a writer, if I'm not uh, getting it wrong. Yeah. He have a complete article about uh, metaphors, and uh, it, it, that article blew my mind. So I really recommend to add it to the show notes if possible. Cool, definitely do that. Um, and the one thing that I think that just comes to mind is when you said metaphors, I can definitely see how they can be useful. But at the same time, I think sometimes they can potentially be abused uh, to the extent where companies might come up with their own specific terminology for something that's already been done and uh, working well. So uh, something that comes to mind potentially is like likes. Uh, the like button, commonly used terminology used throughout sort of most social media. If somebody comes along then and tries to add a new feature and it does the same functionality as a like button everywhere else, but you call it a uh, Zapier, like a happier Zap or whatever, or like just an example now, um, then it sort mm-hmm. of can also be confusing to some extent where it's like you're taking something that people are already familiar with, terminology and trying to make it your own, like or make it into a metaphor that's relevant to your business could also be dangerous, uh, don't you think? Uh, you know, like abusing other terminologies to your company is like when you take a solution by one company and you just copy the same solution to your company and, and you think it's going to work. So it's not going to work. <laughs> uh, UX is all about planning and understanding. And if your last conclusion is that you need to call it a like button, regardless to what Facebook was doing, so call it a like button. But uh, you can just copy a feature and expect it to work as good uh, for you because in design in copywriting it's just not going to work uh, people are not going to appreciate it as well try not to abuse copy and yeah never use jargon and uh, stuff that people don't get and just make sure that your clarity is on top of your mind so the metaphor is not too complicated or something like that yeah and like maybe not reinventing the wheel when it's not necessary as well exactly the- the other thing as well is like um, I think when we think about like UX copy and some of the experiences that I think sort of delights people is uh, they tend to sort of take a more human approach to their copy and maybe a little bit more playful in some cases. Like when you think about UX writing, sort of how do you strike a balance between like good copy, functional copy, but then also still 
uh, have a bit of personality uh, and that you don't also maybe go to the opposite extent where you try to be too funny or try to uh, like add too much personality and then you end up losing like the functionality side of things sort of like what is your process how do you go about <coughs> thinking about sort of what is the copy that you want to bring to this app or this experience so it really depends on the effort that you're doing right now it it really depends on the the project that you have on your plate right now so there is a chance that uh, there is an error message that no one in the company wrote and you know you have like maybe less than a day just to understand something quickly how to write it and, and you just write it down because you know it's a very it's like an edge case and maybe not a lot of people are going to look at it so you you wouldn't want to invest all of your time in something like that so that's one thing on the other hand, you have like key screens that you want to craft your copy and to tighten it like a pricing page, for example. You want it to be top notch. You want to make sure that everything is clear and that you don't make any mistakes. And uh, you need to go first of all with your gut feeling, like uh, everything, if you don't have data. But if you have data, try to work also with your gut data. But also if you have data, also add some gut feeling to the to this too, because uh, sometimes like that, uh, of course, right? But maybe uh, we make the wrong assumption. So go with your gut thing, make some kind of an hypothesis, deploy the copy and test it. You know, that's what design is all about. Test it and optimize it. If something works less good, so just change it back. If something works better, uh, try to use it a little bit more. And did it answer your question? Yep, uh, to some extent, and, and I have a follow-up as well. Then is that so? In terms of like the copy and then the experience and uh, like the experimentation side of things, I think like when you think of a SaaS app, uh, there's a lot of copy being used on like maybe loads of different pages. What do you do to try and like ensure that you have consistency? And uh, what are some best practices to make it easy for a UX writer to be able to like run experiments quickly and test out different copy changes? Are there any special tools that we could look out for? Or is there any sort of processes that you've got locked down so you know what copy is on which page and then if you make changes, like how that's going to influence things down the line? All right. So uh, <clears throat> designer uh, designers had something uh, called design systems that uh, made sure, like uh, probably many listeners know about uh, material design by Google, which is a very famous design system, right? And the idea of the design system is to create a light alignment between all of the design that's coming from Google, for example. Similar to that, writers have a content style guide, okay? And with content style guides and with design systems, it really depends on the size of the company. If it's small, so you're not going to have probably a well-established content style guide. But if we're talking about companies like Shopify, um, Google, Atlassian, uh, the most common example of a open source content style guide is MailChimp. So you're going to see how people create some kind of a voice and tone of like how we write error, this is our do's, this is our don'ts, how we write for accessibility, um, and they go very specific on those style guides. So my tip for the listeners would be, if you're a small company and you're just building a content style guide and you want to create some kind of alignment uh, with the rest of the writers of your team, go find other content style guys and take inspiration from them. Um, I created an article called the top content style guides. 
So we have a list with all of the content targeted out there, so you can check it out. And if you are working in a big company and you working on a content style guide, so try to, you know, go between all of the writers in your organization and find some kind of a common ground, go to the different screens of the different apps, of the different products, try to understand like what's the rhythm of the copy of those products and build your own content style guide if you have enough resources to do it. Yeah, very nice. And you gave some really good examples. They will definitely add that in the show notes for people to check out. Uh, I'm also a big fan of MailChimp's one. I love it. Uh, I think both yeah, the... yeah, this one is pretty famous. I, I, I love their copy a lot. I don't like their product that much, personally. Yeah. I don't use surprise, it. Surprise, yeah. But I think that the copy is pretty impressive. Like yeah. game-changing, impressive. For sure. Uh, they managed to nail like a good combination of personality and brand, but also functional and uh, specific. So. The next thing I wanted to sort of sort of ask uh, is something I ask everybody that joins the show um, is let's have a hypothetical scenario now as a UX writer, you've been offered a new role and you join this uh, new company and you see channel retention is not doing well. Um, and you've actually been asked to try and turn things around for this company. Uh, what would be some of the things that you would do in the first 90 days to get results? Right. So 90 days are a lot of days. So I'm going to have a lot of time, which is great. So basically, I'm going to get all the numbers. Okay. See, like, where is the dropouts where people stop buying or just when people um, want to uh, just cancel the service. Uh, if it's a big company, there's just probably going to be some talented uh, data scientists in that company. So I will ask for some, you know, insights about like what's working and why and for which company, which countries. And I will ask for this, uh, you know, uh, interesting data. Uh, and then I will try to to have some insights about, okay, they sign up to our platform and now they don't want to use it anymore. So what it could possibly be, it could be about pricing it could be about the fact that it wasn't what they were expecting it could be about uh, they're not they don't need it anymore so first of all i will probably create some kind of a form that ask anyone that is about to cancel like what's the reason that are you canceling and i'm sure that I'm, this is not new and many people know about this trick already probably so that's what i would do and then i will gather more data about the reason that i have like this churn and Let's say that it's about the fact that it's too expensive. So what was, wasn't clear about the fact that that's going to be the price or what makes our value proposition so low that it's not communicated well in the pricing page that people ask for their money back afterwards or they ask to remove it at some point. And so I would just look on different use cases, collect data and make data conscious decisions and keep it clear as possible so people know exactly what they're getting so we could reduce the churn. So probably they expect some one thing and they got something else. So I would try to understand what didn't meet their expectations and see how can I use copywriting in order to meet with their expectations even before they sign up for the first place. Yeah, I think that's a super, super powerful message there. And it's definitely something that's very often overlooked as well in terms of like the promise uh, fits as well. When you talk about it, it's like what you're promising your customers in terms of your copy and their understanding, but maybe on the pricing side of things, what the value prop is and actually what you deliver at the end of the day 
if that's not aligned and uh, you're not doing a great job there of communicating that value, like you've already lost before you even got started. started. You mentioned exactly. something as well that we chatted about just before the show and uh, maybe it was something that you did, but in terms of sort of the cancellation flow and reducing churn from people who actually want to get their money back on returns. Like this is something that you mentioned that that happened within your business. Maybe you want to let us know and elaborate a little bit about that. Sure. So basically like any business in the UX writing hub, the company, and we sell, uh, we have a lot of uh, content that we deliver to our audience, newsletter, uh, free stuff and the job board. And there is a big community essence uh, inside of it. And uh, we sell courses. Um, and to be honest, in the last, like we had already like uh, four different um, course, uh, course, uh, and we managed to reduce the amount of uh, refunds to 0%, which is pretty impressive. So. The numbers of people in each course is not that high. It's not like thousands. It's, it's not even hundreds. But I think that the fact that we just uh, communicate really well what's going to happen in the course, what is the outcome, and show a lot of credibility during that process, you know, that we are collaborating with big companies and that we know what we're talking about, maybe hiring a, a more... Uh, mentors with more experience in the field of UX writing and and uh, we managed to sell um, I would I would call it like a content product like a course in a way that uh, makes people very satisfied because in the first courses we did have a few refunds uh, and now we don't have, have them anymore but to be honest we do have a use case where people are saying that they wasn't expecting this course to be that intensive and they're too busy. So they just ask us to move them to the next uh, course. So this is also a lesson that uh, I learned and I'm trying to implement it and to communicate the fact that this is a, an intensive course. You like that's exactly how it works. You need to communicate so people will know what they receive. And I think that what help us to reduce the the churn or refunds or how do you call it? How, how would you like to call it? But to a very, very, very small percentage. Yeah, it's, uh, you mentioned a few different things here. I think that's valuable. Uh, and it's sort of really, it came down to that promise fit versus like what you were selling on your uh, website versus what the course and the actuality was. And realizing that using social proof, uh, using gaining credibility by introducing new mentors to the program uh, really was one serving sort of that social proof side, but two adding value to it. Uh, and then I think it just shows like a really good understanding and listening to your customers as well. So uh, at the time of uh, asking for refunds and churning, you get a good picture of what their pain points are. Uh, so it's a, it's a great yeah. example of sort of using good copy to make sure that to, to begin with, you're making a really, really clear statement and clear message of what to expect. And then when they do get started, like there's no sort of going back and saying, well, this is not what I was expecting. It's like you've, you've made it black and white for them. Of course. And I have another tip, which is, let's say that you did receive the refund or someone that want to unsubscribe from your services, for example. So don't be a douchebag about it. Many sales companies don't understand that they can't put dark patterns when people want to leave their services. So don't put dark patterns. It's not ethical. It's not cool. When someone asks for me for a refund, I just give it to them. I make sure that they're like 
everything is good. That uh, you know, as long as it's uh, to the um, agreement that we had beforehand. Um, but I always give them the best attention that I get that I could, so it wouldn't happen again because nobody likes lecture and refunds. And uh, it's also about like even if they decide not to get your product right now or to stop. There might be your clients in the future, so don't leave a bad taste in their mouth. Just be don't nice be a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, be yeah. kind, be nice. Uh, too many SaaS companies, when we're talking about like unsubscribe right now, yeah, they're like hi- hiding the cancel button, hiding the unsubscription button. You need to go to settings, profile, and then you have like a pretty poor design for the fact that it's going to unsubscribe me. A lot of SEO tools just charge you automatically without uh, even like asking you first, or like uh, it's kind of uh, annoying. Many many low cost airlines also like yeah. And this is really bad for your churn game. For sure, and, and this is what you're talking about in terms of dark patterns. Just for the listeners, is uh, when you really specifically try to engineer and make it difficult for users to cancel your service. Uh, or to trick them into taking specific actions that are maybe beneficial for you, but not for them. So uh, I totally agree with you. Like, don't be a douchebag if you're building a, a SaaS product. Like, make it easy for your customers to do what they want because ultimately uh, it's very, very short-term thinking uh, when it comes to these dog patterns because you might, like, in the short-term uh, decrease churn uh, or increase revenue, but in the long-term you're damaging your brand, you're damaging word of mouth. And in a subscription business, like word of mouth, and uh, retention is going to be your biggest driver for growth. So uh, it's all you have to the community yeah. that you know just uh, help each other out. That's you, you must invest all of your efforts in the community, and that people will be happy with your services. Absolutely. Well, Yul, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, is anything last thing that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Like, how can they keep up to speed with your work? How can they learn a little bit more about the practice of UX writing? So first of all, thank you for having me. It was a blast and uh, I, I can't wait to listen to it and learn, relearn from it because it was really great. Um, about the UX Writing Hub, we have a weekly newsletter every Wednesday at 10 a.m. sharp. Everyone gets the newsletter. Uh, so you can sign up on our website. I can also add a link and send it to you so you will edit in the show notes. Uh, we have a podcast. This one is bi-monthly, which means like twice a month we send we also have writers in tech podcast so you can look it up if you want me to listen uh, listen to me interview uh, ux writing industry leaders and you can also try our free course in the website uh, or yeah our free course in the website which uh, many people said that it gave them a lot of value or go to our blog as well we have many uh, great resources for ux writers on our blog as well awesome Uh, Well, thanks again for joining the show and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. 
Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.